What's up, y'all? Welcome to episode five of the Saving Green podcast. This is going to be a first for the pod because we're actually doing a two-parter for the first time. This episode is part one of two so that I can cover two terrible decisions that the Supreme Court recently issued. The Supreme Court has definitely been on its hair of taking people's rights away recently, from removing constitutional protections for abortion and medical care to allowing legal discrimination against LGBTQIA individuals. It's no secret that the Supreme Court is legislating from the bench, and they're actively rolling back rights and protections for millions of Americans. Unfortunately, providing people with clean water is no exception. On today's episode, we'll talk about the court's recent 5-4 ruling that the United States does not have an obligation to provide water resources for the Navajo Nation. We will talk about how this ruling is an atrocious continuation of colonialism and stealing resources from indigenous people, this time clean water resources. Trigger warning for this episode, there will be discussions of violence, racism, and genocide. There will be specific trigger warnings before the sections that contain these themes as well, so that you can have a heads up before I start actually talking about them. Part two will take place later, and we will talk about the Supreme Court weakening the Clean Water Act and putting wetlands at risk. Wetlands are a crucial ecosystem for wildlife and for naturally cleaning and filtering water. Rolling back protections for wetlands could have serious consequences for water quality and ecosystems that rely on wetland habitats. Stay tuned for part two of the Supreme Court being evil coming soon. listen to the other episodes you know what time it is go ahead and follow us on twitter instagram and tiktok at saving green pod this podcast is available on apple Podcasts, spotify so if you could leave a comment and a five-star review on either of those platforms it would be much appreciated we've already got a five-star review on spotify but we've not gotten any on apple podcast yet and if you leave a five-star review i'll read it at the beginning of the show Finally, I have a Patreon you can give to if you like the content you hear on this podcast and you want to hear more of it. Patreon subscribers get early episode release access and will also get a shout-out at the end of each episode. Giving money to the Patreon will definitely help me continue to improve this podcast and add new features like videos, showing sources on screen, and other fun stuff. We've got some exciting news, too, because we actually have our first three Patreon subscribers. Big shout-out to Nick RMSB, Nathan Frost, and Blockbuster for subscribing to the Patreon and supporting the podcast. We also have a Discord community running where we can discuss current events in environmentalism and natural resources, post memes, make suggestions for future episodes, and other stuff. Uh, All of these links are available if you follow the link tree in the episode description and in the show bio so that you can access them anytime. Now, without further ado, let's get started. To begin, I want to talk about the actual court case that the Supreme Court handled and the ramifications of their decision. I'll do an in-depth legal discussion later in the episode about why the majority opinion is wrong, but to start, I just want to give a quick little overview about what happened. The case was brought before the Supreme Court after the states of Arizona, Nevada, and Colorado all joined together to sue the Navajo Nation. They were arguing that they had precedence over water resources and the right to water over the Navajo Nation. A major issue of the court ruling was whether or not the Navajo Nation had a right to be provided water by the federal government. This all happens at a time when the American Southwest is undergoing a major historic mega drought where there is an extreme lack of water that is having drastic consequences on water resources across the area and managers are kind of scrambling to figure out how they're going to conserve water in time. But despite the fact that the Colorado River runs directly along the Navajo Reservation, 
in the Supreme Court case, Arizona v. Navajo Nation 2023, the Supreme Court officially ruled against the Navajo Nation and declared that the federal government has no obligation to provide clean water resources on the reservation. For context, 30% of people in the Navajo or Diné Nation have no access to clean drinking water and 40% lack running water in their own homes. This is according to information obtained from ABC News and NASA as well. Also according to ABC News, many communities do not have a secure water supply and have to haul water once or twice per week. This involves making lengthy trips of up to several hours to fill up water jugs at clean water reservoirs and to bring them back home for use for their families. The Navajo Nation is also the biggest reservation in the United States and it covers 27,000 square miles, which is an area larger than West Virginia. According to the 2010 census, the reservation population was over 173,000, and the total Navajo or Diné population is over 330,000. A court brief from a local advocacy, advocacy group called Dig Deep and the Utah Tribal Relief Foundation states that in addition to families needing to purchase bottled water, make long halls to bring water back home, or just have to use contaminated water, a lot of individuals are also having to get by using just two or three gallons of water per day, while the average American uses 88 gallons. Imagine what it would be like having to get by only using two or three gallons in a, in a day. Not only do you need clean water to drink, you know, at least a gallon, but you also need to cook, you need to flush your toilets, you need to take showers, you need to clean yourself, and you need to clean your house. And two to three gallons is simply just not even close to enough to do most of those things. The fact that this level of access to clean water is happening in the United States right now is a humanitarian catastrophe, and there is no other way of putting it. The fact that it is also targeted at a historically prejudiced minority group and reinforced by the highest court in the entire nation is an example of severe environmental racism. A major aspect of the court case, Arizona v. Navajo Nation, was an argument over the term permanent home that was found in the Treaty of Bosque Redondo in 1868. This treaty was signed between the Navajo Nation and the United States to secure tribal land for the Diné people. Justice Gorsuch argued in his dissenting opinion in the case that part of establishing a permanent home includes water rights, which is fundamentally true. People cannot exist without water because water is life. Water is needed to grow crops, raise livestock, drink, and many other things in order to survive and actually establish a permanent home. Brett Kavanaugh wrote the majority opinion, which argued against providing water for the nation, and he wrote that the historical record does not suggest that the United States agreed to undertake affirmative efforts to secure water for the Navajo, end quote. His argument centers on a legal technicality that the Navajo Nation must identify a specific bill or text that says the U.S. government must provide water to the nation. It overrules several established court precedents and is a clear attempt to continue to enforce centuries of racism and discrimination against the Navajo Nation. The plaintiffs, Arizona, Nevada, and Colorado, argued that requiring them to accommodate the Navajo Nation's water needs would upend future negotiations over water for the 40 million people who live in southwestern United States and rely in the Colorado River Basin. They also argued that there is a $15 billion a year agricultural industry that grows most of the nation's winter vegetables, which needs to be prioritized. This is a classic example of prioritizing profits over people, and it's ridiculous that in this era, states are teaming up against indigenous nations to block their access to water so that they can have more profits within their own states, and so that people can grow crops in the deserts of Arizona, or grow almond trees in California, and just basically be running agricultural operations that are not conserving water, and that are just simply wasteful. This also happens at a time when Wall Street investors are calling water in the United States a trillion dollar market opportunity. Water Asset Management President Matt DeSiero said that he started his company, quote, on the core belief that scarce clean water is the resource defining this century, 
much like plentiful, cheap, dirty oil defined the last century. This is just capitalism continue to run colonialism because they are taking vital, life-saving resources from indigenous people in order to pat their own pockets. And honestly, with a ruling like this, with the Supreme Court and the amount of corruption that has been shown to be happening with the amount of bribes that these judges are receiving, it would definitely be really interesting to see if any of the bribes came from people that are attached to this case. Now, before I dive into some of the legal reasons behind why I think that the Supreme Court decision is wrong, I want to talk about more of the historical context between the United States and the Navajo Nation and how centuries of imperialism have led to the United States inflicting violence upon indigenous people and the Navajo Nation in different ways for years and years and how it's still continuing to this day. Trigger warning for this section, there will be mentions of violence, racism, genocide, and sexual assault. The Western expansion of colonialism into the United States came directly at the cost of the lives and way of life of many indigenous people and nations. It was official United States government policy to try to remove Native Americans from their land. In 1830, the United States government passed the Indian Removal Act, which led to things like the Trail of Tears as the Cherokee Chickasaw, Choctaw, Creek, and Seminole nations were all forced on a death march out of their homes. This was followed up by an act called the Indian Appropriation Act of 1851, which attempted to force indigenous people onto reservation land, quote, where they could better subdue them so that European settlers could occupy the land that they saw as the most valuable during the gold rush. This is according to the National Institutes of Health Native Voices. The forced reservation system led to a long era of conflict that has been referred to as the Indian Wars, which ended with the Wounded Knee Massacre in 1890, where 150 indigenous people were slaughtered. The wars were heavily one-sided, with European settlers regularly committing atrocities like the Wounded Knee Massacre. These policies affected many indigenous nations, and the Navajo Nation was unfortunately no exception. Colonel Kit Carson and the U.S. Army established a scorched earth policy with the Navajo Nation, where they would burn all crops and homes and steal or kill all livestock. This was in an attempt to force the Navajo people off of their land and it led to the Long Walk of the Navajo, or the Long Walk to Bosque Redondo, in 1864. This was very similar to the Trail of Tears, and it was an attempted ethnic cleansing of the Navajo people through 53 different forced marches between 1864 and 1866 from Arizona to New Mexico. There are at least 200 deaths in the initial 18-day-long 300-mile march, and it was four years of imprisonment for the native people. Finally, in 1868, a treaty was signed with the Navajo Nation, and several other treaties were signed between 1878 and 1991, but the 1868 treaty was the Treaty of Bosque Redondo, and this allowed the Navajo people to return back to their native lands. Despite being one of the only tribal nations in the United States to receive their historical land back and be able to occupy it, the discrimination against the Navajo people continued for a long time. For example, in 1922, a compact was signed over the Colorado River to decide how water would be allocated between the seven states that are in the southwestern United States. This compact entirely left out the Navajo Nation and also severely limited the amount of water that flowed into Mexico through the Colorado River there. The Navajo Nation not being represented in this treaty and not being accommodated for water rights is a, funda- is a fundamental reason why their water rights are still an issue to this day. Some of the Navajo Nation's 
land and water resources have also been poisoned by what was the biggest radioactive spill in history that occurred shortly after World War II in Church Rock, New Mexico, which is a part of the Navajo Nation. It still has not been cleaned up to this day. There were 750 mines located along the Navajo Nation for uranium, and the tribal government and Navajo employees were not fairly compensated for their work. Furthermore, the U.S. government conducted testing to see the effects of uranium poisoning on humans on the Navajo Nation without their knowledge or consent. Workers were given, given little protective gear or ventilation, putting them at serious health risks. Lung cancer cases started appearing in the 1960s in the area, and residents living near the mine started to get sick with asthma problems and cancer. This is essentially stealing the value of the uranium resources from the Navajo Nation, using their labor to do it, and then imposing severe environmental and health consequences on them at the same time. The radioactive spill that happened was when a dam released over a thousand tons of uranium waste and 94 million gallons of contaminated water. The Puerco River had levels of radioactivity over 1,000 times the allowable levels. White communities in the area were compensated for the spill, but not the Navajo Nation. No comprehensive health study has been done in the area either, which is a complete government failure. The fact that the EPA or the HHS or some kind of organization has not come in to at least do a study to see the effects of the radioactivity on people is just unacceptable. This information comes from a Vox investigation in 2020. There is a local organization that has been fighting to clean up some of these uranium sites, and they are called the Redwater Pond Road Community Association. Um, they can use some support, and so if anyone listening to this thinks that that's a valuable organization, um, that would definitely be a good one to donate to. A major reason why the Navajo Nation has not simply also been able to just build their own water infrastructure to supply their own water is that they still suffer from the economic consequences of imperialism and colonialism. The Navajo Nation and other indigenous nations suffer from a variety of different economic consequences, such as high rates of unemployment. One in four Native Americans were living in poverty, according to a Pew Research in 2014. There are also lower rates of higher education per capita against other groups in the United States, according to this same Pew Research poll. And while the Navajo Nation was allowed to return to its ancestral homelands and are one of the only nations that has been allowed to do this, nearly 99% of indigenous lands have been stolen, according to an investigation done by researchers from Yale, Colorado State University, and the University of Michigan. It's extremely difficult, if not almost entirely impossible, for indigenous nations to have economic recovery without some kind of actual reparations being paid because the United States government essentially destroyed their entire way of life, killed all their livestock, burned their crops, stole their water, and have provided absolutely no reparations for it. So how are these communities supposed to repair from the extreme violence that has been imposed upon them throughout history without some kind of help? One in ten indigenous Americans lack access to safe tap water or even basic sanitation. The most affected are nations within the Colorado River Basin, like the Navajo Nation. It's according to an investigation from The Guardian. And according to the Vox investigation in 2020, Navajo Nation residents are 67 times more likely than other Americans to live without running water and the cost of hauling water is at least 70 times more expensive than piped water. This is also at a time when 30% of people in the Navajo Nation do not have access to clean drinking water, and over 40% lack running water in their homes. With the Navajo Nation being nearly a population of 200,000, that's over 52,000 people who do not have running water in their homes. This leads to families having to drive hours, sometimes multiple times a day, just to get water According to a 2021 investigation from The Guardian, 
race is the most significant predictor of plumbing poverty, with indigenous households 19 times more likely than white households to lack indoor pipes for running water and sanitation. The problem is even more exacerbated within the Navajo Nation. Tribal governments cannot raise money through property taxes, as reservation lands are held in trust by the federal government. And so this means that tribal governments struggle to raise money to actually be able to build their own infrastructure for problems like these. According to the 2021 investigation from The Guardian, an estimated $4.5 billion is needed to address the widespread lack of water across the Navajo Reservation. A 2020 investigation from NASA found that tribal lands are at much greater risk due to the effects of climate change and drought, and the Navajo Nation is in some of the driest territory in all of North America. In addition to just the critical lack of water, it's definitely important to highlight how the United States government has systemically failed the Navajo Nation, and in a lot of ways these are, in fact, intentional. For example, the Navajo Nation is also a food desert, and this basically means that there is a widespread lack of access to food, particularly good, nutritious food. The Navajo Nation, despite being the size of West Virginia and having a population of roughly 174,000 people living on it, only had 13 total grocery stores on it as of March of 2021. This means that a lot of time residents have to drive up to three hours just to reach a store and there they will have little to, or no access to actually good nutritious food. This has caused a number of systemic health impacts such as 22% of the population on the reservation has diabetes and another 43% are pre-diabetic. Obesity rates in different areas of the nation range anywhere from 23 to 60% as well as a result of this chronic lack of access to healthy food. And with a chronic lack of water, it's not like people living on the reservation actually have the means to provide for themselves agriculturally. If they're living on two to three gallons of water a day, then there's no way that they're going to be able to spare water to be able to grow their own crops in an arid environment. And as discussed before, a major part of the legal reasoning for the dissenting uh, justices in the Supreme Court case was that you need to have enough water to provide yourself with food as means to live on land long term, and that just makes sense. And so clearly here, the government is failing in yet another way by creating a food desert within the Navajo Nation. There need to be serious programs addressing this, a number of resources being put into communities financially, water-wise, and just bringing in food, organic nutritional food from outside of the reservation that people can actually have access to, establishing more grocery stores, things along those lines. There's also a systemic lack of access to adequate health care, um, and this can be seen in a number of the ways that indigenous populations are affected across the United States by this. For example, pregnancy-related mor mortality rates for non-Hispanic American Indian and Alaskan Native women are at 29.7 per 100,000 births between 2000 and 2017. This is compared to 16.7 per 100,000 for the general population. That is nearly double the rate that the general population has. Additionally, Native American groups have almost twice the infant mortality rate as non-Hispanic white Americans, according to a 2020 report from the CDC. Institutions continue to fail Native American communities daily, and unfortunately, the Justice Department is certainly no exception as well, and indigenous people and nations still face, face extreme violence, and systems continue to fail them. A trigger warning for this next section for listeners, there will be mentions of violence, sexual violence, murder, and other tough topics. According to a 2016 study from the National Institute of Justice Department, more than four out of five indigenous women report being the victims of violence, and 56.1% report experiencing sexual violence. 
96% of the women reporting also described their attacker as non-Native American. Tribes also have limited authority to prosecute non-tribal citizens because of a 1978 Supreme Court decision called Oliphant v. Suquamish Indian Tribe. Additionally, non-Hispanic American Indian and Alaskan Native males had the second highest rate of homicide compared with males in all other racial and ethnic groups. It is estimated that rates of violence can be up to 10 times higher on reservations than national averages, according to the Bureau of Indian Affairs in 2023. Human trafficking is also a major issue in Native American communities. All 27 nations that responded to a survey from the GAO, or the Government Accountability Office, reported initiating investigations for human trafficking between 2014 and 2016, according to a study done by the Bureau of Indian Affairs in 2023. Additionally, according to the National Crime Information Center, in the year of 2016, there were 5,712 reports of missing American, Indian, and Alaskan Native women and girls. The Bureau of Indian Affairs estimates that there are approximately 4,200 missing and murdered cases that have gone unsolved. These investigations often remain unsolved due to a lack of investigative resources. I bring up these statistics and these facts to show that systemic violence and discrimination continues to face indigenous populations to this day, and it is reinforced by the government in many ways, whether it is a lack of resources being given or just utterly deciding to cut resources altogether, as the Supreme Court has done recently by deciding not to provide water to the Navajo Nation, despite water being a fundamental human right. We as a population in the United States need to say enough is enough. We need to support indigenous communities all across the country. We need to support things like the land back movement we need to support indigenous voices and activists, and we also need to stand up to the Supreme Court and other institutions, and we cannot allow them to use their power to continue to inflict violence upon communities that face prejudice, danger, and unsafe living conditions. It is inexcusable that we live in the wealthiest country in the history of the world, that we have a military with a $900 billion budget and yet we can't provide water for some of the most marginalized communities within our nation. With that being said, I want to get into the actual court case that happened recently, Arizona v. Navajo Nation 2023, the arguments that were made and why the Supreme Court has failed again as an institution. Water in the southwestern United States is an incredibly complex and contentious topic in this day and age. The entire region is undergoing a historic level of drought that has severely limited the amount of water that is available to people. And this has caused a lot of major water holders to come into conflict with one another. Most recently, we saw this when California was trying to bid against all the other six states in the Colorado River Basin, saying that they had senior water rights and they were not going to cut their water, but everybody else had to. This kind of conflict, unfortunately, has been very common, when the solution is extremely common sense that everybody needs to work together. They are all facing the exact same crisis, the exact same problems from it, and if they want to have water, they all need to share it, and they all need to find ways to conserve it. Again, unfortunately, this kind of common sense thinking, this kind of actual human decency doesn't seem to occur to a lot of people, a lot of managers, a lot of wealthy individuals who stand to make profit from agriculture or other forms of monetizing water in this, in this area of the United States. And so this has led to this court case, Arizona v. Navajo Nation, in which Arizona and New Mexico and Colorado all signed on together to say we do not want to provide water to the Navajo Nation. We do not think for some reason that they deserve to have water. And so three state powers decided to coalesce and band together to sue an indigenous nation that is just trying to survive. 
I cannot highlight how crazy that is and how crazy it is that it went all the way to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ruled against the indigenous nation. Even just putting legal arguments aside, how can you sleep at night when you do something like this as a human being to other people? Now, from a legal standpoint, we get to talk about how ridiculous it is and how immoral and how it goes against so many different legal doctrines. So the Navajo Nation's argument surrounded the 1868 treaty between the Navajo Nation and the United States that essentially allowed them to make the reservation their, quote, permanent home as long as they gave up their rights to occupy other territories. The Navajo Nation argued extremely logically that permanent home included a water supply, which is adequate enough to sustain agriculture and livestock, which makes sense. If you are going to live somewhere permanently and you're going to be your own kind of independent nation trying to function, you need enough water, not just for your people to drink and to take care of things inside of their homes, but also to provide an adequate food supply for your population. Because without water, without food, you cannot survive and you cannot have a permanent home. It's also important to note that because of how the legal system between the U.S. government and indigenous nations work, that the United States holds water rights in trust for the Navajo Nation. This basically means that the United States holds the water rights similar to a bank holding your money and then it is agreed that when your water is needed that the United States will give the water to you much as the bank would give you money for something you had in a trust account. So the Navajo Nation also argued that the United States government had breached its fiduciary duty. They also argued that under the way that law has been constructed previously and under special canons of construction that apply to treaties between the United States and indigenous tribes, any ambiguity should be interpreted in favor of tribal rights. This is an established doctrine that has been practiced for years, and there are a number of court cases backing this kind of thing up. The Navajo Nation also made an argument over a foundation called the Winters Doctrine, which has stood for 115 years and is considered to be the foundation of tribal water rights, according to the Inter-Tribal Council of Arizona. This is based on a court case called Winters v. U.S. in 1908, and it says that the creation of a reservation also implicitly reserved rights to use a sufficient amount of water to meet the purposes of a reservation, and this includes future and present needs for agricultural and non-agricultural purposes. Again, this is according to the Intertribal Council of Arizona, an uh, indigenous law group. In the majority opinion, essentially tearing up years and years of practice law, Brett Kavanaugh shot down the Navajo Nation, and the five justices voted that the United States government has no legal duty to provide water to the Navajo Nation. This is despite the fact that the, the court and the majority opinion actually did recognize that the Navajo Nation does have water rights under the Winters Doctrine. So they basically said, yeah, you have water rights, but good luck getting them, bud. What the court ended up concluding is that the Navajo Nation needed to identify a specific text of a treaty, statute, or regulation opposing an affirmative duty for the United States to secure water for the Navajo Nation. This is despite the fact that there are numbers of texts. Not only the argument around permanent home, but the fact that ambiguity should be interpreted in favor of tribal rights, that the United States holds these water rights in trust for the Navajo Nation, that they have these water rights in the first place. The United States government provides water for municipalities within the country. This is just a thing that exists there. Wherever you live, your city has a water district and they clean the water, they pump it to your homes and they maintain that infrastructure. And that is a duty that the government provides to the people who are taxpayers, who are paying for this service so that they can have something that they need to survive. And yet for some reason, the court thought 
that it's okay for them to just not provide water to people that live within its borders. Brett Kavanaugh, in his majority opinion, even references that the historical, quote, the historical record does not suggest that the United States agreed to undertake affirmative efforts to secure water for the Navajo. If you are going by the historical record of the way that the United States government has treated indigenous people and using that to legislate, you are actively affirming genocide. You are actively affirming violence. There is no other way of putting it. The entire United States is built on taking land and taking life from indigenous people and using the historical record to quote quote to back that up is simply just affirming the fact that the United States continues to this day to be a colonial empire. We steal resources like water to provide profits for the American Dairy Association or, you know, other big agricultural groups in the Southwest that have a stake in this. It's ridiculous. None of it makes any sense. Now let's talk about the dissenting opinion where Justice Neil Gorsuch said that the majority was misreading the Navajo Nation's demands. He argued that the government was not fulfilling the conditions of the 1868 peace treaty, and he argued that water is a fundamental part of establishing a permanent home. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but I actually agree with Justice Neil Gorsuch. In his dissenting opinion, he wrote, quote, the Navajo Nation have a simple ask. They want the United States to identify the water rights it holds for them. He also wrote that no one can make a permanent home without the ability to draw adequate water, otherwise the tribe's land would be, quote, practically valueless. And again, this is fundamentally true. We are living in a time where people in the Navajo Nation might have to just have three gallons of water a day to take care of themselves and their families. And the United States government is stepping in to actively allow this human rights atrocity to continue and uphold it with the power of the state. And I want to talk about why the majority opinion is so wrong and why the United States government actually does have a true responsibility to provide for the Navajo Nation. To begin, I want to talk about something called the Doctrine of Federal Responsibility, or Federal Trust Responsibility, and this is something that was established in the court case Seminole Nation v. United States in 1942. This essentially means that the federal government protects tribes and their reservation lands and provides basic necessities, such as food, shelter, and human services. This is an established and practiced law method, and human services absolutely includes water. It's also strange that the court, Brett Kavanaugh, and the majority opinion can recognize the Winters Doctrine, but still try to override it, because this means that the creation of a reservation implicitly reserve rights to a sufficient amount of water to meet the purposes of the reservation. And so, they're saying that, yeah, they have these rights, but how can they stop and say that there's no duty to actually provide the water for them? Because by not helping to build this infrastructure, by not providing resources, fiduciary, personnel, engineers, whatever, you are actively denying these water rights to people. And it's just like you have to do so much mental limbo and gymnastics to even begin to think that the argument that the majority opinion is making any sense. The Winters Doctrine was also upheld and strengthened in a case known as Arizona v. California in 1963, where the United States Supreme Court at the time recognized that water reserved by the U.S. was intended to satisfy the future and present needs of reservations. This established that tribes have water rights based on the practically irrigable acreage on their reservations, according to the Navajo Nation Water Rights Council. Furthermore, it is ingrained in the government currently to provide water, safe water, for indigenous nations. 
the EPA strategic plan from 2018 to 2022 and their national water program guidance outline specific measures and targets to improve access to safe drinking water on tribal lands. And the fact that the Navajo Nation is a food desert, the fact that people barely even have enough water to meet their, their needs for drinking means that they clearly do not have their water rights met as the Winter's Doctrine dictates, that they should have enough water to, to actually be able to irrigate their land. And the United States federal government is the reason that the Navajo Nation is facing this water crisis. They're the reason that they're facing an economic crisis. They're the reason that they're facing medical crises, of, of justice crises, because the United States has done significant damage to the Navajo Nation and indigenous people all across the country and provided absolutely no form of reparations and continue to cut them off from basic resources that they need like water. The federal government does not allow indigenous nations to raise tax revenue by property taxes either. And so the amount of resources that indigenous nations have financially to take care of problems like these are limited because of the federal government. Indigenous citizens have the right to vote and they are citizens of the United States. And so they should have the same rights of any other citizen of the United States. They are also in their own sovereign nations, but they are citizens and they deserve to be taken care of, especially by a government that has historically and continues to marginalize and take from their people. And while tribal governments themselves are not subject to taxes, individual ind indigenous citizens still must pay federal income and employment taxes. And so their money is just being taken and it's not coming back to them in resources in the same way that the government is supposed to provide for people. And it's just, it's so inequitable that they're just being robbed essentially through these taxes. They don't get water resources. They're not getting grocery stores or roads or, you know, the, the kind of critical infrastructure that they need. It is just such an unfair system. Despite the severity of this Supreme Court case and the consequences it has, there are still positives and silver linings that we should look at and that I think are very important to highlight. For one thing, Congress could resolve many of these water access issues through legislation if they choose to. As it stands, that's not an incredibly likely scenario. There was an act that failed to pass through the Senate in 2021 called the Tribal Access to Clean Water Act of 2021. And without this bill being revived or there being a major focus by the party in power, currently the Democratic Party, it's unlikely that this will pass through Congress, unfortunately. Um, but even with that being said, it is important to pressure your legislatures and to support groups that are doing the same. And the federal government has provided some water infrastructure resources for the Navajo Nation, but it is definitely quite limited. Um, this includes the Navajo Gallup Water Supply Project that will deliver water to some communities within the Navajo Nation. It includes approximately 300 miles of pipeline, two water treatment plants, 19 pumping plants, and multiple water storage tanks. This is a step forward, but it's estimated that this project will only deliver clean water to about 1,500 households, and, you know, there are nearly 200,000 people living on the reservation. So it's, it's a drop in a bucket, but they definitely... It's better than nothing, but they, the Navajo Nation still definitely needs more. The people there definitely need more. Additionally, President Biden's bipartisan infrastructure law included $2.5 billion to implement what was called the Indian Water Rights Settlement Completion Fund, and there was $123 million included for fiscal year 2022 um, for specifically the design and construction of the Navajo Gallup Water Supply Project. The full estimated cost of providing water on the nation is $4.5 billion, so this is not nearly enough funding, but again, it is better than nothing, so that's still a positive, and if, if we can push Biden's administration to continue to fund things like this, that would definitely be an improvement. 
it's also possible that the Navajo Nation may be able to trade some of their water rights in exchange for money and pipelines. This would be similar to a deal that the Biden administration reached with Arizona's Gila River Indian community for $233 million, which will go towards some of their water infrastructure projects like pipelines. This is not an ideal scenario because trading water rights away might mean that you're completely selling them and you might not get them back. You might be able to sell them for just some years, but again, I don't think that the Navajo Nation would necessarily want to lose water rights in exchange for just some partial completion of water infrastructure projects because they, they need both. They need the rights and they need the infrastructure to provide for their people. There is a nonprofit, a Dine-led project called the Dig Deep Navajo Water Project that's working to install water tanks and plumbing for people who live on the reservation who might not have access to clean water and they're also working to provide solar power to people as well to help uh, power their homes and some of the water infrastructure as well. They've been taking donations. They've been featured by NPR, ABC, CBS, The New York Times, and other news outlets. So if you're a listener who's looking to contribute financially to help, then this is a great group to look at. And again, this is the Dig Deep Navajo Water Project. It's estimated that about $6 billion from the federal funding from Infrastructure and Inflation Reduction Act as well will go towards states, tribes, and territories. And this is a pretty diluted amount of money, definitely, if it's going to states, tribes, and territories. Um, $6 billion between all 50 states, all tribal nations, it definitely will dilute $6 billion, quite a significant amount. Additionally, on June 28th of 2023, the EPA released a funding allotment memorandum that will provide a total of $238 million in resources to tribal drinking water and wastewater infrastructure funding. But again, the price tag for the Navajo Nation's water infrastructure is $4.5 billion alone. So there does still need to be a significant amount more invested in the Navajo Nation specifically, but also indigenous nations across the country. With that being said, I want to talk more about what still needs to be done, and that is to pass the Tribal Access to Clean Water Act and to provide monetary resources from Congress so that there is legislation that specifically says how the United States must provide water, and then there is funding to back it up. That would essentially reverse the Supreme Court decision. Another thing that needs to be done is to essentially gut the Supreme Court's powers. As an institution, they have become highly politicized and they are legislating from the bench and rolling back human rights for people across the country. They need to be elected officials. They need to have term limits so that they cannot just serve lifetimes after being appointed unelected. They must not be allowed to receive donations or gifts or anything like that from wealthy donors, like we've seen with the number of the Supreme Court justices, including Samuel Alito and Clarence Thomas, who both voted to gut water rights for the Navajo Nation. We need to limit the power that the Supreme Court has in general to be able to roll back rights on people, because we cannot allow them to inflict environmental racism on marginalized communities and to steal rights away from people continually. Additionally, the federal government and the states in the Colorado River Basin need to create a new Colorado River Compact that includes and prioritizes indigenous nations. Western water law is based on a principle known as prior appropriation, or first in time, first in right. This means that the people with the oldest water rights are prioritized. Indigenous nations lived on this continent far before any state was ever established, far before any colonizer ever stepped foot onto the continent. And this means that their water rights are the oldest and senior and should be prioritized. And this needs to be legislated because currently indigenous nations do not have any kind of representation within the Colorado River Impact, or Compact, excuse me. 
there is legal precedence for this as well. There have been decisions made from the Supreme Court that established legal precedence like tribal sovereignty based on the idea that indigenous nations lived on this continent before settlers ever arrived. Lastly, let's talk about what you can do specifically to help the Navajo Nation and to help spread information. The first is, if you can, to donate to organizations like Dig Deep and the Red Water Pond Community Association. These are great organizations that are working to provide water infrastructure and water resources for people within the Navajo Nation who do not currently have them. Additionally, you can spread information about the story so more people can be aware of the active environmental racism and injustice being lodged towards the Navajo Nation by the Supreme Court and the U.S. federal government. I'd also recommend following organizations like Dig Deep and Redwater Pond on social media and following other indigenous voices and organizations that are talking about issues like these. You can vote for candidates who emphasize fixing the Supreme Court, holding justices accountable, stopping donations to the court, corruption, things like that. You can also vote for candidates who prioritize indigenous rights and who support the land back movement. This is definitely something that people should become more educated about because the the level of government oppression that continues to this day is is quite unbelievable. Lastly, you can continue to follow this story, keep an eye out for new lawsuits, and donate to groups that are supporting the lawsuits. Thank you so much for listening to episode 5 of the Saving Green podcast. Thank you to everyone who has been here from the beginning, to anyone who is just starting now to listen. Uh, don't forget to follow us on social medias. We've got the link tree available in the episode description and in the podcast description. That's link tr.ee slash saving green pod all our handles are saving green pod you can find us on twitter instagram tiktok also follow the patreon if you can give any money a month it starts at just a dollar a month and goes up from there but if you can give anything to help keep the podcast going and to help me uh, get some new equipment and make some new upgrades to the podcast that would be super appreciated Give us a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you leave a commented review on Apple Podcasts, I'll be sure to read that out loud on the show. Um, So feel free to make that as ridiculous as you want. And then I also will be thanking Patreon subscribers um, during each episode as well. Patreon subscribers will also get early access to episodes, some exclusive content, and other things like that. Again, I want to give a big, huge shout-out and thank you to the first three patrons of the pod. Y'all are the best. Y'all are real ones. Nathan Frost, Blockbuster, and Nick RMSB. Thank y'all so much. I really appreciate you in supporting the podcast and helping us get started and lifting things off the ground. Stay tuned for part two of The Supreme Court is Terrible coming out soon, where we're going to talk about recent decisions surrounding the Clean Water Act and how they're going to roll back protections on wetlands and the kinds of consequences this can have for water resources.